0: So we've been looking at the book of Genesis. We're talking about only the first 11 chapters, what's known as the primeval history uh, of this magnificent book. And so if you have your scriptures, open them to uh, Genesis chapter 4. And uh, we'll read this uh, first 16 verses. And if you don't have a scripture with you, uh, it's printed for you in your Bible or in the uh, bulletin. Yes, this bulletin is your Bible. Uh <laughs> No, just, check, you can check it out there. But now, uh, let's, read, let's read this, and uh, I'm only going to read the first, this first little portion about Cain and Abel, very familiar passage. Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground in the course of time Cain brought forth brought brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought to the Lord the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portions and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering but for Cain and his offering he had no regard so Cain was very angry and his face fell The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And when the Lord, then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord, and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the word of the Lord. We've been talking about Genesis, and of all the books in the Bible, except maybe for the book of Revelation, Uh, Genesis is one of the most misunderstood. And I think it's because we try to get Genesis to say more than it says. We try to make it answer scientific questions about how the world was created when it's not addressing those at all. And I think that a lot of that is motivated by a certain amount of fear in Christians that science is somehow going to disprove uh, the existence of God or the veracity or the truthfulness of Scripture. And the fact of the matter is, and none of you needs to duck your head to any scientist, no matter how brilliant they are, they cannot prove or disprove the existence of God. And the Bible is not, doesn't go to any l- lengths to try to prove God's existence. It just says He is and that He did these things. So the, the book of Genesis is not about how God created, but why He created. Who created God and why? Why did he do it? And so put away all the scientific stuff and and just don't concentrate on that because it's not in view. If it was there we would talk about it but it's it's simply not. What the book of Genesis is telling us is that God created the world by his word and spirit, that's all it says about how, and then why? He created it so that he could populate it with people that bore his image so that they could go out into the world and form and fill it with more of his image. Extend the borders of the Garden of Eden into the land of Eden and from the land of Eden into the farthest reaches of the world. And it's the same message today. And what is so relevant about the book of Genesis, if it's rightly understood, is that God is telling us, and He was telling Moses and the people of Israel out on the plains of Moab, why they exist. What's going on with the world? Why are the Canaanites... In the land, why is Satan still occupying paradise? Why is he back there messing with the world, bringing chaos and confusion? I want you to go back into the land of promise and cast him out. Drive him out and reoccupy the garden and redo what I wanted you to do in the first place. And, folks, that message has never changed. Jesus himself recapitulated that message to us in Matthew 28 when he said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach people my sayings, go to every nation, and I'll be with you always. Go, now go, back, go do what I told you to do in the first place all authority has been given to me the message hasn't changed and the book of Genesis answers the biggest questions that human beings have, all of us. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or, or atheist or whatever. Everyone asks these questions that Genesis addresses. Questions about evil, the existence of evil. Questions about suffering and why do the righteous suffer. And questions about why do bad, you know why are bad things happening around the world? Why is there this catastrophe? Why do we seem to be living in a world that's not right? And it answers those questions, not completely, not fully, but it addresses them and gives us uh, enough to go on that we can live by faith and live with hope. And that's what He is. He promised us that in Genesis 3.15, we looked at it last week, He promised a seed that would come from the woman who would crush the serpent's head. And here we just read that Adam and Eve believed that promise, so they, they were intimate, and they had a child, Cain. And they believed it so much, they had intimacy again, and had another one. And who knows how, you know, they were, they were busy. They were going to have a bunch of them, because those, the seed was going to come and kill that serpent and crush him. And then you have this account that is so interesting and explains so much, there is enmity, he promised, remember in 3.15, enmity between, or, or antagonism between the seed of the serpent and seed of the woman. And here, right away, chapter 4, you see it begin to play out. And by the way, it plays out for the rest of the Bible. You remember, I've been telling you, here's, look. There's uh, look, my Bible just falls open to Revelation 21 right now, and Genesis three. Everything in between is about this battle between the, the seed of the serpent and the seed of, of the woman, who's ultimately Jesus, but it also includes us. And God cast them out of the garden. He put an angel there to guard the way into the garden. He didn't tell them you can never come in. You can come in, but you're going to have to die in order to come in. You'll have to pass under the sword. And of course nobody wants to do that. So Jesus comes and He passes under the sword for us. He opens the way back into the presence of God for us. Now God asks Cain, if you were listening, He asked Cain three questions. And and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to do it quickly but in these three questions, he sets the stage. It's absolutely pure genius. God's three questions to Cain set the stage for everything that happens in the rest of our Bible. It's actually, it's mind-blowing. And here's, here's what he asks him. If you, if you want to, you can make a little note. Why are you angry? First question, why are you angry? And this question reveals our problem, humanity's problem. We'll talk about it in a minute. Next question he asks is, where's your brother? Where is your brother? And that reveals what is in the heart. He's showing humanity, every one of us, what's in our heart with that question. Where's your brother? And then finally, he asks him this this final question. uh, uh, What have you done? What have you done? Now, you all know God knew all this ahead of time. He's asking questions to open presuppositions so that we will think. What have you done? Where's your brother? Why are you angry? And every one of us has to be asking those questions. That's You know what it means to be a Christian? A big part of what it means to be a Christian is that you're willing to get in the mirror and ask yourself, that person looking back at you, some questions. And be honest. And if a Christian is honest and he's looking in the mirror and he's saying, why are you angry? So well, I'm angry because I have rights. Really? You want to talk about your rights? Your right to murder, your right to sin, your right to blaspheme, your right to hate, your right to resent, your right to go on and on. Let's talk about all those rights how you uh, that we do. I have the right to be mad. I have the right to be upset. I have the right Where in the world do you think you got those rights? It's outrageous some of the things we say. Why are you angry? Where's your brother? What have you done? Reveals our heart. And finally, what have you done? Reveals the way back into the garden. It's absolutely amazing. So let's look at them. Why are you angry? What is our problem? What is the problem? The problem is that Adam and Eve... And all of us since have turned our backs on God. We have blasphemed God. We, 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 from the time we're little, we become rebellious and we just get worse. We get better at it as we get older. And you know, when you get old, like you know, like me, I'm getting up there, and you get older, you think, well, you know, you don't, have, you don't struggle as much as sin with uh, sin as is younger, you know, the younger. Oh, really? Well, I, I beg to differ. I struggle with all those old ones plus a lot of new ones that you are too young to experience yet. Right? I mean, they're just, it's always there. It's always crouching at the door, it's always working contrary to me. And God says, You must master it. You must master it. And of course, we think he means that we've got to master it just by willpower or by being a good person or going to church every Sunday or whatever. And he's not talking about that per se, although you do have to exert your will. You can't just sit back and do nothing. But he's giving us the basis for what is our problem, our anger at God and the alienation we feel from God. We're angry at God and we are alienated from Him. Now some people say, I'm not angry at God. I'm not angry at God at all. I mean, never mind that He's taken everything away from me, but I'm really not angry at Him. But you know, if you strip things away, why we resent people, and you know, I don't know why, I'm fighting with my wife. Well, you know, God gave me that wife. This is what's going on subterranean, right? That's what Adam said. The wife you gave me. Well, if I had a married wife B instead of wife A, things would be different, Right? I made a bad choice. So we think it's all about that when that is not what he's talking about. We are, our relationship with God is broken. It's corrupt. And it's our doing. We created it, and yet we want to blame him for it. It's really the essence of the human problem, not Christian problem, human problem, is anger, resentment, entitlement, things should be different, I should get what I want, I should have this, I should have that, and it's not coming my way, I'm not getting that one fruit that he said not to have, I want that one, never mind I'm living in paradise, never mind I have everything I want, I want the one thing I can't have. Sound familiar, parents? Yeah, we know what it is. Cain brought an offering. Look at verses 3 to 5. Cain brought an offering, and and the, the text is very stark. He just simply brought an offering. Abel, on the other hand, brought the firstborn and the fat portions. He brought the very best of his flock where Cain just kind of put some stuff together and went went to God. And the Lord had regard for Abel's offering, but not for Cain. Now, some, some uh, commentators have said, well, it's because... Uh, Abel's offering was was uh, of the flocks, it was blood, it was a sacrifice, and, and the reason he rejected Cain is because it's the fruit of the ground. That could not be further from the truth. It's It is not about the offering, it's not about blood, it's not about grain, because in the law of Moses, they offered both blood and grain offerings. What it was about was the posture of the heart. And Cain's heart was and you see it throughout the narrative you see it blossoming and blooming out his his resentment towards God and so God rejects his offering and he accepts Abel's offering and God has always let me be very very honest with you I've said it before but I want you all to hear me God doesn't want your stuff He doesn't want a tithe you know we don't talk much about money in our church but I'm telling you folks, He's not interested in your tithe. Now, I'd love for you to tithe because I need the money. And I do get a paycheck from the church. But, you know, frankly, God's not interested in your tithe. He wants 100%. He doesn't want you to quibble about 10%, 15%, before taxes, after taxes. Uh Uh-uh. He wants it all. 100%. So get out those checkbooks. See, He wants it all. But more importantly, He wants you. You see, He knows he wants us everything that we have. He wants us to give our life to Him. Money is nothing. Money will, will, money will wreck you. A lot of you already know that. No, He's interested in your heart. I want your heart. And if I've got your heart, then I've got your money. And if I've got your heart, then I've got your family. If I've got your heart, then I've got your future. You'll trust me. If I've got your heart, then you will not worry. You will not be anxious. If I've got your heart, you will not fear. And when fear comes, and it does every day, when it does come, you have an answer to the fear. Somebody else has my heart. Someone's got my heart. He wants your heart. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, the prophet Hosea said in Jesus. Quoted Hosea in Matthew 9. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice? Behold, He desires that you obey and listen. Obeying and listening is better than sacrifice. He told Saul, what the sacrifice is nothing. He wants you to listen to Him. Which meant trust Him. And then... And then David himself, King David, says, You don't delight in sacrifice or burnt offerings. I'd give it to you if you wanted it. I mean, he was a king. He had all the stuff he could possibly want. But I know what you really want is a broken and a contrite heart. Therefore, I break. I go down on my knees. I put, You know, the word humble comes from stretching the neck. Because a person who is humble would fall before the king and stretch his neck out to make it easier for the king to cut his head off. That's how much he trusted the king. That's how much he put his life in the hands of the other. He would stretch the neck. If you want to take my life, take it. And if you don't, and spare it, Makes no difference. I will worship you. I trust you. It's awesome. If you wanted a burnt offering, I'd give it to you. But no, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. He will not despise. You see, Israel is out there on the plains of Moab, and they have to know, folks. They got to know what is it going to take to go in there and go to battle with Satan, with the serpent, with the Nahash. What is it going to take? And that hasn't changed. We have to know that. You and me today in modern 21st century, we have to know what it's going to take. And we have to know our problem. Our problem is alienation from God. And when we don't get what we want, we get angry. And a lot of times our anger is directed towards other people. And it's only because you can't get your hands on Him. If you really get in the mirror and you really ask yourself, why are you angry? I'm not getting what I want. Well, you know, uh, at the end of the day, at the bottom, scratch it all away, rub it all out of the way, God is back there somewhere. And if you're honest enough, you will know that you have your problem with Him. You sort that problem out and do you want to know what? Life becomes amazing. You can face Real trouble. Real problems. Like in our Q&A this morning, I wish more of you were there at Q&A, Mike asked a great question about Job. Where's the Gospel in Job? Well, come next week and I'll tell you. It's amazing where the Gospel is in your Bible. And it's often when we're we're facing deep, dark, struggling, and, and unrealized expectations that we still choose Him. That we still go to Him even though everything has been stripped away. Naked I came, naked I go, blessed be the name of the Lord. We just, we throw it all in, we surrender all of it. And what do you find there? You find arms stretched out, pierced hands, blood soaked body for you. Folks, if that isn't good enough, nothing's going to be good enough. Just not. And God is telling us, here's the problem. God's reaction, you know, Israel fell for the trap, and I'm afraid a lot of people in Christianity fall for the trap because you can go to any church in the country. In fact, many of them are huge, big churches. And they will tell you that if you do this and that and the other thing, you can be rich and wealthy and healthy and you can have all and and you can have paradise now. Well, you know, then Jesus should have gotten paradise because he was better than any of us and better than those people. How come he suffered and died? What was going on? Can you have that life? You will have that life, but not here. In this life, you're going to suffer. And you can either suffer well or you can suffer badly. You can suffer being a complaint, you can suffer like Cain did, which was nothing but whining and complaining and griping and carping and, and entitlement and anger, and we're going to look at all that in a second, or you can go strong into Jesus, fall at his feet, and say, I'm yours. Which Cain didn't do, and unfortunately, not too many people do. God's reaction was to show grace to Cain, when he brought this unacceptable offering, he asked him the question, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? In other words, he was, his, his, his face was a frown. That's what fallen face means. It means they're going down. That's fallen face, happy face. Okay, he said, why is your face fallen? If you do well, in other words, if you'll just work on your heart, hey, you'll be accepted. Sin is crouching at the door. It's contrary. Watch out. You've got to fight back at that. And you know what? We often will let sin roll over us and then we we say, I couldn't help it. Have any of you ever done that? You know, lying is a sin. I'll ask again. Have any of you done that? You said, I can't help it. Okay, say yes. Yes, Chuck. No, what he tells him, he gives him good news about sin. What he says about sin is, sin is at the door. You listening? Sin is crouching at the door. Where is the door? The door is where. Outside. It's not in here. It's out there. And he's telling Cain, "Don't let it in. Don't let it in." So now that sh- that, if you're not here next Sunday at 9 a.m. for the Q and A, you're not listening. Because that should have raised a lot of questions for you. Yes? Because aren't you all a bunch of sinners? See, nobody wants to answer anymore because you think I'm going to trick you. That's not true. Okay, but th- come next week. I'll explain it to you. It's awesome. Sin is crouching at the door. It's out there. Don't let it in. Don't let it have the mastery over you. Push back. Don't, don't say, I can't help it. I, I'm just a victim here. No. Stamp your foot and say no. No. Okay, it's outside, don't let it in. Same thing with Adam and Eve. He said, don't eat from that tree. Don't disobey. Cain's reaction to God's love... God was expressing love when He asked the question, why are you angry? He's showing him compassion. And look at Cain's reaction. It's amazing. Cain's reaction to the love, grace, mercy, kindness, goodness, patience of God is to rise up and murder his brother now ask yourself the question why did he kill Abel because he couldn't get his hands on who who made him mad who was he really angry at who would he really have liked to have gotten his arms around the neck of and throttle him he would have loved to get God, but he can't get God, so he gets his brother Abel who was made in the image of God and was the one that got his offering accepted. He killed his brother. He, I don't know if he lured him out there. It says he spoke to him and then when they were in the field, he rose up and killed him. We really don't know the circumstances, but he kills his brother. His reaction to God's question is to kill his brother. His brother. And it shows it shows all of us showed the people out on the plains of Moab getting ready to go into the promised land here's what you're going to be facing, don't fall for this, don't do it and he's telling us today don't do it. don't let anger control you because you'll end up. Killing your brother, you'll end up kicking the cat, you'll end up throwing the TV out the window, you'll end up wrecking the car, you'll end up slapping your kids, you'll end up stealing money from your job. You'll end up think of where anger has taken us. And anger is a good diagnostic, perhaps one of the best diagnostic, for what is going on in the heart. Where is your brother? Where is your brother? It reveals that heart. It reveals the heart. The true self is all in that question. How do we as human beings, how do we look on others? He's using brother because that's the way they did. He was a brother. And so he's saying, "Where is your brother? He's asking you to ask the question. How does your heart, how is your heart reflected? in the way we treat one another. And look, I, we don't have time to get into all that, but think about that. We usually love those that love us. We're good to people that treat us good. We like people who can advance us. If somebody's, if somebody's a connected person, you want to connect with them because, hey, they could scratch your back, you'll scratch theirs. You know, there's all of this interaction. But people that are not like us may be a different color, maybe a different religion, maybe a different race, maybe from who knows? Who knows what the things are? We, we can throw up any number of things. And we do to find reasons not to like other people. Starts in our homes, we end up getting mad at our spouse. Uh, and so we go find somebody else, and then we find out that, that we have just a different set of problems. Or we get mad at our kids and, you know, we spank them and, you know, sometimes abuse them. Or they don't understand why we aren't giving them everything they want. You know, my five-year-old kid wanted to come and, you know, drive my car. I'm not going to let him because he'll kill himself. That doesn't mean I don't love him. It's the opposite. How do we treat our brothers? And listen to the answer. You know, God asks him, Where's your brother? And he answers, I don't know where he is. Am I my brother's keeper? He asked God a question. He had the temerity to ask God a question like that. And God doesn't answer him. And you know why? Because the answer to, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. You know that, don't you? Please say yes. Yes, we are our brother's keeper. Yes. Yes. That is the meaning of the Bible almost in its entirety is that we are our brothers and sisters keepers. We are a community of people. We need each other. we got to help each other. Okay. Where is my brother? His answer reflects his heart. There's nothing in this answer, folks, you can't read it any other way. There is hatred. Towards God, towards his brother, there's sarcasm. There is cynicism, sarcasm. Now, Gen Xers and Gen Yers, a lot of you in the room, the boomers are not like this. The boomers, we created Disneyland. (laughs) The Gen Xers and the Gen Yers and the millennials and all the other from then, because we gave you Disneyland, you have become cynical and sarcastic. You know that, don't you? Cynicism is perhaps the worst sin that a Christian can display because cynicism says there's no hope. There's nothing out there. It's nihilistic. It's, it's absolutely devoid of faith. Sarcasm and cynicism. Don't let that become you. And don't become like the boomers like us because we created Disneyland. God help us. Right? We everything's going to be wonderful. Happiest place on earth. No, no, no. Neither one of those two poles is helpful. What is helpful is being like Jesus who could dance at a wedding and weep as he entered the city. Like that. But Cain, all he does is show sarcasm and hatred and anger and lies, murderous outrage. And God's judgment, if you look, we're not going to look at 11 through 16, but God's judgment on, on him elicits more. He's, oh, I can't take that. And he starts whining and complaining and all that. And God still shows him grace and says, okay, no, you're not going to get killed. You deserve it, but you're not going to get it. I will put a mark on you so that nobody will kill you. I'll still protect you. Even after all that, for goodness sakes. He still shows him love and grace. So when you find yourself, listen folks, when you find yourself struggling with anger and tantrums and being cynical and sarcastic and and there's just no hope and nothing's going my way and how come nothing goes my way and constantly carping and complaining, go to the mirror. Why? Look, be honest. Why are you so angry? What is wrong with you? What's going on? Well, if you point to anybody but you, you, there's your problem. Yes? Everybody good? Y'all still love me? Kind of? Not too much. All right. Uh, Look at the third question and let's finish with this. What have you done? What have you done? Again, nothing but grace pours out, nothing but love pours out. He knew what he had done. He was hearing the voice of his brother's blood crying out to him from the ground. He asked him, What have you done? That's the way back, folks. Is how you answer those questions. What have you done? The question, it, it, it shows God's love and grace and kindness. It's the same thing He asked Adam and Eve, Where are you? You know where they were? He's trying to get them to come out of hiding. He's drawing them out, not driving them. You remember? He could have driven them, I see you. He could have said, I see you. Instead of saying, I see you, He says, where are you? Instead of telling Cain, I know what you've done. He says, what have you done? Now folks, if you don't see the grace and love of Almighty God in that, you just not track with Him. He is showing nothing but grace. And what was the blood? Here it is. Let me give it to you quickly because I don't want to go too long. Look, what was the blood saying? The blood that was spilled out on the ground that was Abel's blood, the blood of the innocent victim of a murderer, a good and righteous man, a man that had brought the right sacrifice with the right heart to God and was trusting God, had been killed and murdered, and his blood was crying out from the ground for what? His blood was crying out for the, from the ground for Justice. And for vengeance. Everywhere else you read in the Bible, that's what blood is crying out for. crying out, The innocents are crying out, avenge me. This is not right what has happened here. This murder was wrong. And the question, the voice is crying out to God, for vengeance and for justice. And so here, at the fourth chapter of the Bible, the fourth chapter, you're seeing this great cosmic question that every human being that's ever lived is asking, How? How do I reconcile? How do I put together justice and mercy? How are we going to reconcile that blood crying out for vengeance because it should be the just thing was for God to avenge him? Yes, that was the right thing to do. Strike came down. Blood for blood. Instead, he shows him mercy. Folks, that is just amazing. That is a gospel that is unbelievably wonderful. His voice is crying out. What is the way back? How do we get back? We need the voice of blood that is not calling for vengeance. We need a voice of blood crying out from the ground that is not calling for vengeance but calling for mercy. That's the voice we need from that blood. And if you don't think the New Testament understood that and and puts it on us and tells us, here's what you're living with and why it is so wonderful to be a Christian, why it is so wonderful to embrace this truth, because you have not... Listen, this this is so profound... Because you have not come to Mount Sinai. You've not come to this mountain that's burning with fire and smoke and rumbling with an earthquake where God is coming down with His commandments and the law and He's going to hold you to every single one of them. And if you touch the mountain, you'll die on that mountain. If you get near it, it's so holy and so, so glorious and filled with fire and smoke that if, you even, if an animal even touches it, they'll die. You have not come to that mountain of darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of whose words made the hearers beg that no further message would be spoken. They were clapping their hands over their ears and saying, No, don't say any more. We can't take it. And the writer, this apostolic author, says, No, you haven't come to that mountain. You've come to Mount Zion, the city, listen to his description, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, they're having a party, to an assembly of the firstborn enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. A better word. A word that says vengeance, yes. Justice, yes. On him. I'll give you justice. I'll hang my son on the tree for you. He will stay for you. He'll go under the sword for you. He'll die for you. You can be covered with that blood. He will take the vengeance. You will get mercy. A better word than the blood of Abel. And all he asked Cain, and all he's asked You and me, all He asked anybody ever was simply to put your trust in Him. And so, will you do it? Will you trust this God? Who would have done this for you? Who would love you this well? And He's only asking you to repent and believe the Gospel. And then, where's your brother? Love those around you. Let's pray. Father, uh, thanks so much. Your kindness and your mercy endures forever. There's really no one like you. Who would have ever dreamed of taking people who were murderous like us? We may not have actually committed it, but we've been angry at our brother, and Jesus said that was like murdering them. We pray that you will forgive us and help us to start new today. Trusting that blood of Christ that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It speaks mercy. And we pray that you'll do that for us in Christ's name. Amen.